Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Welcome to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Chef, it's so good to see you and your aubergine hair. It's nice to see you as well. I'm excited to be here live in our studio Mm -hmm. in Gateway Community College here in New Haven. Always great to do the live show, which means we also get to talk to guests. And we get to talk to our favorite guests, our listeners. Our listeners are, are our absolute favorite guests because this is a show... For all the bakers out there. All the bakers. And you don't even have to be a professional baker. No. You could be a neophyte. You could have the, the inkling to want to bake. Whether you've been breaking bread your whole life, you just started two years ago, you will learn so much from today's live show. Absolutely. we got some great guests coming on, and I can't wait and to get into it and start talking to them a little bit, man, because mm-hmm. baking is one of those things that, you know, when you go to culinary school, I don't know if people realize this, when you go to culinary school, you choose either culinary arts or yeah. baking and pastry. I and didn't realize that they were separated. Very, very different. Yeah, very, very different curriculums. Pretty interesting. Unbelievable. Well, I want to hear more about that as I introduce one of our first guests. Carrie Brisson is the head bread baker at King Arthur Baking in Norwich, Vermont, where aside from being the head of bread, how cool is that title? Nicely done. She's also an instructor both in person and online at the King Arthur Baking School. Carrie Brisson, welcome to Seasoned. Hello. Thank you for having me. And Kevin Massey is the baker and owner of Small State Provisions in the Gastro Park in West Hartford. He started off with a cottage bakery in his home in 2019, but he loved the bread so much, he had to expand it to a small brick and mortar inside the Gastro Park in West Hartford. Kevin Massey, welcome to Seasoned. Thank you for having me. And of course, later in the show, we'll talk with uh, the baker at Wave Hill Breads in Norwalk, one of my favorite bakers, mm-hmm. uh, where they mill their own flour on site, man. So how cool is that? Love it. And right now, our phone lines are open. Carrie and Kevin are ready for your bread baking questions. Our number is 203-776-9677 or 203-776-WNPR. Maybe you're a newbie or you want advice about where to begin. Our guests can help. Again, the number to call is 203-776-WNPR. All right, so there's there's a lot to unpack with bread because although it's just a simple delight that yeah. some of us enjoy at the dinner table, when we go out to dinner, I'm looking at Plum because I hope he's going to share an anecdote about a, about a rather famous <laughs> chef who demanded bread. Well, he didn't demand it; he was he just wanted it. But but Carrie and Kevin, I wonder if we can talk about the emotional pull that bread has. Because I know for me personally, bread is comforting. It might be because I, I, I equate it to coming home from school and there would be like this crunchy bread and my grandma would make me hot chocolate and I would sit down and eat it. Eat it. And it was so simple and it was so delicious. So I wonder, we'll start with you, Carrie, what do you think the emotional pull to bread is? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I completely agree with you that that comforting element is just um, just perfect, right? Mm-hmm. You have, I, I, when I think about bread, I, it connects me to a sense of this honor and tradition. You know, cultures all over the world have a deep history in bread baking, right? Yeah. It's, it's ancient. It goes back for so long. So when I bake, I feel connected to that history, you know, by feeding my community, my family. I'm, I'm nurturing those 
that I care about. And it's just very rewarding. And I wonder if when people are baking and feeding others that they love, if they're feeling that connection, that, that sense of community. That's a serious answer right I there. Love it. I mean, that was deep. Kevin, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with a lot of that. For me, um, bread was always something that my grandmother made. Mm-hmm. And growing up, my, I grew up in an Italian-American household. And so, yeah, we always had fresh pizza in the house and fresh bread. And I just feel like we've, you know, bread in general has gotten a rather bad rap with lots of people, you know, moving to low carb diets or whatnot. But, um, you know, I just think there's something about bread and really good bread that brings Mm -hmm. people together. And so one of my missions as a bakery owner is I want people to be thinking about, you know, that old, old way of you have a loaf of bread, you eat that loaf of bread throughout a day and that you're getting your bread fresh every day. Yeah, I love that. I think the comfort aspect of it is also what inspired a lot of people to start making bread <clears throat> during the pandemic. I was not one of them, but I know plenty of people. who <laughs> I mean, I made banana bread, but that's a very different type of bread. We're not talking about that type of banana. Counts. But I was making that before the pandemic. <laughs> but to make but to make bread, um, it, the, the ingredients are pretty simple, but the process can be complicated. Very, very, very so, complicated. So who wants to get into this first? Can we spend some time on on, on the basic ingredients for a simple yeah. yeasted loaf of bread? Who wants to start, Carrie or, or Kevin? I can jump in here. So our bread, the primary bread that we make at my bakery, Small State Provisions, is flour, salt, water. So we don't use any commercial yeast in our bread. We rely 100% on natural wild yeast um, that we cultivate in our starters that we use. And so it really is just about allowing the bread the time that it needs um, to, to go through the fermentation and the rising Um, And the skill of the baker that's baking the bread to know when it hits each of the right stages. Um, And so it's really, you know, for us, it's all in the technique because we don't have anything that we can add to the bread to kind of um, make it so that it's it's more, you know, a lot of bakeries will use commercial yeast um, because it it speeds things up if you're doing a huge volume of production. And it also makes things very easy to control. Um, and so that's really, you know, for us, it's flour, salt, water. Yeah, I think that's the basics bread right there, flour, salt, water. It's not rocket science, but so many other things can affect it, Carrie, thinking about, like, the humidity in the air, the temperature in the air. What are some of those factors, Carrie, you can talk about? Yeah, certainly. I I think it's complex and it isn't, right? It, you, you have to think about, you know, your... Um, your warmth of water, how warm you're using water. If you, if you use too cold of a water, your um, yeast isn't going to be active. It's, it's not going to move. You're not going to get the results you need. So there are lots of little factors that you need to kind of think about with these very simple ingredients. Um, so I, for me, thinking about having a person use a scale is a really great tip. Um, because you get some exact measurements and it's not really an expensive yeah. um, thing to purchase, uh, but it also gives you more of that exact science. And we know that bread bacon is a science. Um, also, you think about, like Kevin mentioned, uh, the amount of time um, you want to make sure you have the appropriate amount of time for a bread to rise um, to be successful. 
you know, I love that she said it's complex, but it isn't. That's how my wife describes me as well. Well, she's not wrong. Yeah, pretty, I, I will agree. It's pretty close. Hey, we got a call here. I want to jump in here. And uh, we've got Elaine giving us a shout here. Elaine, welcome to Season. You have a question about how to develop gluten. Well, uh, yes, I've been trying to um, bake a, a nice rye bread for sandwiches. Mm-hmm. I, I bake a lot of other breads. I've been doing it since the 70s. In fact, Carrie, I was at one of your classes uh, about oh. five years ago, um, Artisan Bread Baking at Home. Nice. Uh-huh. Fantastic. And, and, yeah, had a great time. My husband went out biking and came back and ate all the stuff that we baked in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the, um, the rye, I, ne- I can never seem to get it. I've tried like three or four different recipes. It, it just the texture is like batter bread. It just doesn't have that mm. chewy, it, it doesn't have any integrity, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I'm not sure, I'm, I keep trying, I need it more and more and more. Should I just let it, you know, develop overnight? Um, I don't know. It's, it's a puzzle. Well, yeah. Elaine, you've you called so, the right place. I think we got Carrie and Kevin can probably answer that question mm-hmm. or at least help uh, with it. Okay, good. Yeah. I'm happy to jump in. I'm sure Kevin will have some tips too. So one of the secrets about rye is that it doesn't have a lot of protein, which means it does not have strong gluten. So you are just working against the what the flour wants. Um, so when you want a really nice rye, you're going to have to add another flour in there to support that rye, uh, like um, an all-purpose flour or bread flour to give that bread some gluten for you to get um, a better rise. Does that make sense? Are you trying to do just all rye? Let me put her back here so she can hear I tried us. with whole wheat and rye, and it also had the unbleached all-purpose in there. So, yeah, there was a mix of um, – and there was also something I think it called for um, – and I used my sourdough starter. I, th- I think you have something called a rye improver, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, which I don't have. So is that something that would help with, with that sort of reluctant rye flour? Yeah. So rye, when I bake um, rye bread in the bakery, we rye will want a very short proof. Um, oh. So an overnight proof not isn't necessarily best for it. Okay. Um, and you're going to want it to have it warm. Uh, rye flowers really like warm um, temperatures. When I'm thinking about regular bread, like an all-purpose like baguette, I'm thinking yeah. around 76 degrees. When I think of rye, I'm going 82, 84 degrees. So it's a it's a good amount warmer. Um, try try to warm up your uh, water temperature when you're baking and see uh-huh. what that gives you. It, it, it's hard because I can't visually see it, but that, those are some thoughts I have. Um, Kevin, do you have any ideas? Yeah, I mean, I don't bake with a ton of rye in the baker. I mean, we do use about 5% fresh milled rye in our sourdough bread, but it's not, you know, we're not making heavy rye loaves. But the other thing I would say that I found with rye in the past is I don't know if you're using an auto lease in your recipe, but that that little bit of time there where you let just the the flour and water sit together to kind of break down some of the proteins can be really beneficial in helping to build that. Um, I have also found that rye likes to be warmer. So depending too on how you're mixing it, you want to factor in, you know, what your water temperature is. If you're using a KitchenAid mixer or something of that sort, that's going to build the friction and that's going to drive up the temperature of your dough. So 
um, another factor to think about as well. Well, I think those are some pretty good tips, Elaine. I hope that helps get you down the road there. Uh, we, we've kind of... We jumped. We hurtled. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole lot Elaine of words there. Elaine was like the professional rival <laughs> yeah, as far as I, mean, I was concerned. I was just, like, wow, I thought level. I was cool that I knew sourdough. Elaine went straight right. to rye, and my I've got like all sorts of <laughs> algorithms bouncing across my forehead right now. But um, can, we, can we take a, a quick step back yeah. and just, in the simplest terms, what, what is the role of... First flour. I see what you did there. Then yeast. Oh, this will be full of puns. First flour, then yeast, then water. So whoever wants to answer, what is the role of flour in bread baking? They hate me. They don't want to answer. <laughs> They're like, why would you ask us that? Kevin, why don't you start with that? Yeah, Kevin, start yeah. with that. Talk about the role. Yeah, to me, the role of flour is what's going to build your structure. So that's going to have your protein. And what a lot of people don't realize is that flour is 100% gluten-free. Mm-hmm. Um, wheat flour is 100% gluten-free until you add water. So as soon as moisture hits it, that's when the gluten starts to develop. So, you know, as bakers, we're always looking at the protein content of flour. We're looking at the ash content of flour. We're looking at the falling rate, which are all formulas when we look at a bag of flour that tell us as bakers, um, especially bakers at scale, how that flour is going to perform. So, um, you know, that is how I look at flour is really the foundation of a piece of bread and knowing what type of flour you're working with um, really is about knowing which type of bread you're making. Um, for example, at the bakery, uh, we use 100% organic all-purpose flour for a baguette, whereas for a traditional house sourdough that we're doing, um, that's using a mix of uh, bread flour plus wheat bread flour plus rye. So it's really, you know, figuring out what your bread is. Okay. Okay. So, okay. So that that's a great start. We understand that's what a flour does. Uh, Carrie, maybe you could just talk about Yeast, yeast and what that does, you know, how, how it uh, actually works, the most basic process. And I just mean the most basic process. The most basic process. <laughs> so ye- yeast is going to um, let your um, dough rise. That, that's the most basic process. And you need to activate it in some way by adding water to that and the right temperature. You're going to activate it and it's going to a lot produce some um, some carbon dioxide for it to rise. Unbelievable. Uh, quick offshoot before we hit into uh-huh. our first our first break. Can you explain the difference between active dry versus instant yeast? Yes, I can. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I, well, it's funny because in the bakery we use yet another uh, fresh yeast. So oh. um, which is just a different type of yeast, but it all does the same thing. So active dry is going to be a little slower than instant, but when the dough rises, it's going to kind of catch up. You can use it interchangeably, but I would say that instant just makes sense for you to kind of just stick to. Yeah, if you're a neophyte like me. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Just why not make it easy on you? And I think, I, and I don't have a ton of experience with this, but I, one of them has to be, I can never remember whether it's the instant or the active dry, that you can just put one of them right in without pre-active, like pre-mixing it with warm water and blooming it, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. 
the blooming is very so important. There's a lot of words. Right There's a lot of words to define there. We got to do it, but we got to take a quick short break, Monica. We do. We do. Listeners, if you want to share your own bread baking tips or if you have a question, feel free to call us. We've got some experts here with us. Call us 203-776-9677, 203-776-WNPR with all your bread questions. You're listening to Seasoned. We'll be right back. Season. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. We are live this week talking about bread yeah. with Carrie Brisson, head baker, bread baker at King Arthur Baking in Norwich, Vermont, and Kevin Massey, the head baker and owner of Small State Provisions in West Hartford. It's right inside the Gastro Park, Plum. Yeah, and when you see Kevin's rainbow watch and a photo on Instagram holding mm-hmm. something beautiful, you know a bowl of focaccia just came out of the oven and you need to run down there right now before they mm-hmm. sell out. I mean, listen, it's, it, it, it goes quick. So yeah. if you got a bread question, give us a call. If you want to shout out a local baker, give us a call. 203-776-9677. we got a bunch of calls lined up. Might have saw. Let's do it. I think we should do a quick rapid fire. Let's uh, do it. Kevin, Carrie, you good with that? Quick rapid fire from listeners? Uh, sure. Let's do it. we got Doug from New Haven. Doug, welcome to Seasoned. Hi, how are you? Uh you sure this isn't a two-hour show talking <laughs> about bread? We could go on forever. It's, uh, you're absolutely right, Doug. Yeah, it should be a week's worth I'm of I'm an avid bread baker uh, for 40 years. Uh, I started Big Green Truck Pizza and now have Next Door Restaurant. Nice. Quick Aww. question since you want to do a rapid-fire one. I grind my own whole wheat flour when I'm making some bread. Uh, but it doesn't seem to develop the gluten as quickly uh, as when I'm using a store-bought uh, whole wheat flour. Is there, does it need to age? Does it need to soak uh, longer? Uh, or is it just something about uh, using fresh ground hard wheat, winter wheat? Great question, mm-hmm. Doug. A really, really great question. And I think later on we'll have a great explanation from that from our guest in a little while, uh, Tim Topi. But, Kevin, can you speak a little to that or no? Um, yeah, and I'll have Carrie jump in on this one too, because I don't do a lot of fresh milling. We only use a very small amount. Um, but right off the top of my head, I, you know, it really does. Like when you buy a bag of flour, um, you know, one of the reasons at my bakery that I, that I buy King Arthur flour is that it's consistent bag to bag. And so when you are using different grains and you're milling them fresh, um, each grain has a terroir that's similar to wine, and depending on where it came from and the soil it was grown in, it can be very different. Um, so that could explain why you're not seeing the same gluten development as you would in a purchased bag of flour. Um, but Carrie, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think you're exactly right, Kevin. And I know that when you're fresh milling, you should mill and then bake or you mill and you let it age for a while. So you might, I'm not sure what you're doing, but that is something to think about. Interesting. That's really, really interesting there. And I want to shout out to to Kevin's vocabulary. He keeps throwing these amazing words. Unbelievable. (laughs) Unbelievable. Did you get an 800 on your verbal? Had to. I've got like a list up in front of me of all the words. (laughs) (laughs) He has a lexicon. You have your lexicon in front of you. I love it. We got Rob. Rob, give us a call from Darianne. Rob, welcome to Seasoned. Hello. Thank you. Hey Hi, Rob, and Rob and I are, are frenzies. Oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah, I like his bread. Nice. Well, Rob, apparently you're a great bread baker. Uh, I do my best every day. All right, so chime in with us here. we got some great bakers on. We're having a great baking conversation. What yes. you got? 
tell us um, about your fantastic bakery in Darien. So, yeah, so uh, we have a little shop in Darien. We just expanded to a production facility in Stanford for kind of keeping stuff consistent, expanding nice. our product line. We do um, sourdough everything. Mm-hmm. Um, we do pastry. We do bread. We do pizza. Um, we use some fresh milled stuff, some organic stuff, some not. Um, I mean, there's a whole ton of variables. You guys know this. Um, we're just we're just trying to execute at a high level and try to get better every time we do it. I wonder, Rob, um, I got to know you because we were taking a deep dive into bread a couple of years ago, and it was before the pandemic. And mm-hmm. your shop, I think, like our previous caller, you know, there were lines out the door mm-hmm. in order to get the bread. How is that different? I wonder how being a baker of bread is different because, you know, there's certain times of the year, and for some of you that's every weekend, where the demand is just ridiculous. You know, how do you keep up with it, especially when the the act of baking the bread is so meticulous and so scientific? Um, Barely, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) That's the right answer to that question. Um, There's there's a lot of skilled hands um, and a lot of concentration and hard work. Um, There's no... There's no way around it. I mean, if you if you want to if you want to bake good bread, and um, you know pe- people are gonna f- people are gonna find good product, especially bread. There's a certain nostalgic quality that uh, comes with bread. You know, pe- you can smell bread, and you can say mm-hmm. that takes me back to my known. I used to take me to the corner bakery, you know, Saturday mornings or whatever. So there's just like just like with most food, there's there's this whole nostalgic element that. Um, makes people feel happy when they go to a bakery or when they hold a warm loaf of bread. Um, so it's, like I said, it's not, it's not easy. Um, there's some, there's sometimes like Thanksgiving, Christmas, we can't bake near enough bread. You know, we bake five, 600 loaves and we probably could have sold twice as much, but then, you know, you also have weekends where you bake 200 and you sell 150. So, right. Wow. Well, Rob from Flower, Water, Salt, make sure you check them out in Darien. We appreciate you taking the time to join us. Thank you. Thanks, Rob. Okay, so we got some people calling with questions about sours, but I think before we take them, we should establish what that is. Let's go to Kevin's lexicon. Yes. (laughs) That he has in front of him, because I know he does. Uh, Kevin, let's talk about sours and talk about a starter. Give me me the rundown on that. Yeah, so where do you want to start? What does the word starter mean? So a starter is a culture of flour and water um, that you build in your home or in your bakery, and that captures the wild yeast that's in the air all around us. So a starter in California might taste different than a starter in here in Connecticut, just because the air is different, the the biology is different. Um, And so with time and temperature, um, you can build your starter um, from scratch, and that's what we use to leaven our bread. Okay, so that's a, that's a good that's a, yeah. that, that's a good one, and we're going to take a deep dive into this. And if you want to jump into the pool of starters and sourdoughs with us, give us a call two zero three seven seven six nine six seven seven. That's two zero three seven seven six WNPR. All right, so that's a kind of a starting point for sourdoughs. Sheila is calling, and she has a question on how she can make her sourdough more sour. Uh, I'm sorry, Alexandra. Alexandra, thanks for joining us on Seasoned. Hi, um, what a great topic. Thank you for putting this together. That's and I am a huge. Yes, we, need, we do need two hours. I know. Yes. Um, and I'm a huge King Arthur nerd. I love King Arthur, so I'm so glad they're here as well. Um, but I do have a question about 
sourdough. I've been baking at home probably 10 years, and I still haven't really figured out how to make the taste of my sourdough more sour. Okay. That's a pretty straightforward so question. Yeah. yeah. I like that yeah. question. Pretty straightforward there. Uh, yeah. Let's start with uh, Carrie. What do you think? How can Alexandra make her sourdough more sour? I think you can make it more sour by, um, I'm not sure what type of sourdough you use, but perhaps you want to try a stiff starter. Does that make sense? Do you say a, a, a stiff yeah. or a, a stiff. stiff? A stiff. stiff. Okay. So yes. I don't know if you're doing, when I say stiff, I mean your portion of flour and water is you're having more flour, less water. Yeah. Uh-huh. I understand that. Okay, that's fine. I can try that. Um, you you yeah. should try that. That will produce a more sour um, bread. So that's kind of a, a simple way to start. Okay. And it, does it have anything to do with the starter just sitting for a long time and, you know, creating more of a more flavor or does, or does that have nothing to do with it at all? Great question. You, yeah. Do you, I guess, what do you, can you clarify sitting? Um, so what I do is I just keep my starter in the fridge um, and then I pull it out when I'm ready to get going and baking and I, I build to it. Um, mm-hmm. over time. And then when I, when it's ready to go, I mean, I have no problem with consistency or anything like that. It's just the taste. Okay. All right. Did you taste know, is not. What's your percentage of starter that you're using in your bread in your mix? Oh boy. That's a good question. It's probably 25% maybe. Okay. So one thing you could do is turn that up. We tend to run about 20% in our bread at the bakery. You could do more starter. You could also let it ferment longer. The longer you ferment it, the more sour it's going to get. It's always just a fine balance because the longer you ferment it, the less rise or oven spring that you're going to get. Um, but that longer fermentation time, even if you're doing it cold, like we do our, our baguettes are fermented for 36 hours in um in the in the refrigerator so and then they're baked and they come out fine and that gives them a lot of flavor um you may also want to experiment with adding um just a touch like our baguettes we use just a little bit of molasses and that added sugar uh gives the starter something else to feed on as it's fermenting Hmm. okay interesting well well, good alexander give some of those a try and give us a call back and let us know how it turns out uh, you know, I was going to ask that too, Kevin, if we could just let it ferment a little bit longer as opposed, wouldn't that just make it more sour if it just, you know, before you use it, let it sit and hang out and do its its starter thing for a while longer? Yeah, you can. You can, you know, again, the longer the flavor comes from the time and the fermentation. Um, if you, you know, we, we do about 24 hours for our fermentation start to finish. Um, and a lot of that is cold. So as soon as you cool it down, um, you're retarding the dough or you're slowing down that fermentation process so that it takes even longer to complete. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, if you extend that time and by adding something like a simple sugar or, you know, brown sugar, uh, honey, molasses, whatever, will give that starter a little bit more to feed on during that long period. Because again, if you let it ferment too long, you'll lose that oven spring and you'll have flatter loaves. Interesting. Interesting. We've got Linda calling in and she has an interesting tip about cool, a cool method of bread baking. Linda, welcome to seasoned. 
Thank you very much. I started bread baking back in the 70s when I had two children under the age of three at home, and I needed to do something constructive. (laughs) (laughs) So I found this recipe in the Hartford Current, and it's called Cool Rice Honey Oatmeal Bread. And it gives you the entire recipe, and then... On the second rising, you have already put it into a loaf pan, covered the loaf pans with saran wrap, and put them in the refrigerator upwards of 12 to 24 hours. If they're in there that long, you bring them out, sit on the counter for 5 to 10 minutes while the oven heats up, and then lift off the saran wrap because it has already risen to the top of the bread pan and bake it. And I've always used King Arthur unbleached flour. And this honey oatmeal bread I have made for our preschool at church. I've done demonstrations with the YWCA that was located in Enfield. And, and even today, I'm in my 80s now. I make the four loaves at once. I don't just make two. I always make four. And I have no problem sharing those loaves with other people. Well, well, Linda, we're a Gateway Community College I was sister. about to say, Linda, maybe you should make five loaves. We'll yeah. send our producer uh, Robin down there to pick them up right now. We'd yes. love to have some of this bread. It sounds delicious. Well, I was figuring I might bake some tomorrow since I'm going to be in the house with all the storm and the rain. That's a perfect time. That's a great time some. to do it. Linda, thanks for your call. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. Keep baking. And thank you for this production on bread baking. It's a wonderful way to release energy. Oh, I love Thank that. Thank you, Linda. Thanks, Linda. Carrie, when you hear stuff like that, <clears throat> people who just, you know, have been baking for that long, I mean, not only do I look back and say the 70s, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago to me, when, then when it you do the math, me, you realize yeah. how long ago it actually was. Um, it's pretty cool to hear that, isn't it? It's very cool. I, I love it. I love hearing those personal stories, and I think that is a lot of what baking is. It's everyone has these connections, right. and they're so unique and and also so similar, right? Yeah. And you know, when Linda mentions that, that what she does is exactly what we do in the bakery. Right. So we're all connected. We mix we mix this dough and then we let it ferment overnight, cool, right. and bake it the next morning. It's, it, it's just beautiful. I, I, and, and hearing someone like Linda and, and one of our previous callers who mentioned baking since the, the 70s, which were acting as like... A, a, a different planet we were living on, which I suppose it was. But I have to think that, like with anything else, it's practice. You you bake a loaf and it's it comes out all wonky. It takes practice. But sure. there are some things that I think about when I'm I'm baking my bread, and th- it mostly comes from my children who are like, "Why is the bread stale? Is there a trick?" <laughs> Great to preser- yeah. preserving your bread so that it does not go stale quickly. Because I always do the shut up, run it under the water for a few seconds, and pop it in the toaster oven. And <laughs> now, the they've gotten to, now they've gotten to the age where they look at me and they're like, really, Marisol? <laughs> run it under the I don't water. Know about the, I don't know about the water trick, but I do know the toaster <laughs> is exactly what you should say to them. I mean, bread is going to go stale if you're not putting preservatives into it, and that's okay. You should try to eat it. Sooner Quickly. than later, and then as it gets stale, you find other uses for it. You toast croutons. it, or yeah. turn it into croutons, or breadcrumbs, or but there, you don't you don't have a, a hack. You don't have a special satchel <laughs> that you store your no, bread in. I don't. <laughs> Shucks, Kevin, do you? 
So I actually at home, I, t- you know, when I, when my customers buy bread at the bakery, we advise them to do this as well. We keep, so I keep bread cut side, like out. I don't put it in plastic that will cause, you know, bread is going to release moisture, which is why it goes stale. And if you have it in a plastic bag, it traps that and makes your crust soggy. Okay. Um, so we send our customers home with bread wrapped in a brown paper bag. I say leave the bread in the bag. Um, don't cut it until you're ready to enjoy it. In our house of two, we can eat a whole loaf in a day. Um, so I always say the best way to keep it fresh is just eat it quickly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, also, if I've got excess bread or if I'm bringing too much bread home, um, I slice it up and put it right in the freezer and then I toast it right from frozen. That Perfect. And I like that. If you want to call in and have Monisol explain to you how to put water on your bread, then toast it. <laughs> Our number is 203 776 9677. That's 203 776 WNPR. Before we go to break, we'll take one more quick call. We've got Sheila from East Hampton. She's shouting out the brewers out there. Sheila, welcome to Seasoned. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Of I course. don't have a question. I just have a comment about brewers, especially Connecticut microbrewers. Uh, my husband's one of them. And much. When they're on, they have free time and you think they'd be doing something else. My husband is obsessed with baking sourdough bread and then pizza once a week. How about that? And I know a couple other brewer friends, and it makes sense when you think about mm-hmm. it because of the beer and the right. and the bread. But I mean, they're texting at night. I'm like, oh, he's talking about beer with one of his friends. He's like, no, he just sent me pictures of this loaf, lopsided. <laughs> and he's all upset. I know? love it. So. Oh. It's really, I think there's this little, and brewers are very competitive. You know, there's these homebrew competitions. Right. I think you could do a, prof- a professional brewer bread bake-off. I, I like this. Hey, and brewers are experts on yeast. And just do me a favor. See if your husband won't text me the picture of the lopsided loaf. I don't know if I want to see that. <laughs> Thanks, Sheila. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, take care. <laughs> Thank you so much, listeners. We're talking about bread. If you need advice about starters, babkas, how to press your fingers into an oily focaccia or ciabatta mm. dough, we can help. Ask your question live on the air. Call us, 203-776-9677, 203-776-WNPR. You're listening to Season. Welcome back to Seasoned. I am Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. It's Bread Week yeah, on Seasoned. We're celebrating with some phenomenal bread bakers. Our guests for the hour are Carrie Brisson, head bread baker at King Arthur Baking in Norwich, Vermont, and Kevin Massey, baker and owner of Small State Provisions in the Gastro Park in West Hartford. We want to bring another baker on, another great local baker yeah. who uh, I had the, the, the lovely opportunity to hang out with yeah. a couple of years ago. Uh, Tim Topi is another baker who you guys have to know about. He's the owner of Wave Hill Breads in Norwalk. In 2020, Wave Hill Breads was named one of the 100 best bakeries in America by Food & Wine magazine. We asked Tim to join us because we want to know more about his philosophy around milling local organic flour on site. He actually mm-hmm. mills his own flour at the bakery. Tim, welcome to Season. Happy to have a chance to talk to you again. Hello, everyone, and it's a pleasure talking to you, Chef Plum. You are one of those chefs that uh, one time you made, you inspire, and it's a lot uh, We had a lot of fun. Lots, uh, inspiration. Yeah. Yes, we had a lot of fun the time that we met at the bakery. Thanks, man. Uh, so, yeah, milling, uh, milling the grains is one of the techniques that, uh, that we do here. We mill a lot of them, and we mill, like, 
at least like nine types of grains. Majority of them are organic, almost like all of them. But sometimes it's hard to find 100% organic. But at least seven, eight of them are all certified organic. And uh, what the benefits of having uh, grinding organic grains is uh, one, you're supporting local, local business, and you get the freshness that uh, you don't get with uh, imported products. Right. Tim, what do you, and, what do you uh, use to mill the grains? What is that process like? We have two small stone mills, and um, they are very small but efficient. They do take at least one hour to grind 40 pounds wow. of, um, of grains. And wow. they are very, very good, uh, amazing because you can adjust them in different type of beds that you need to grind the grains. For example, for the multigrain, you'll leave it more coarse. And for the sourdough, which we use almost over 40% of organic sunlight, you crush them instead, uh, like uh, grinding them very fine. Instead, on the three grain, we grind them very fine. So if it's like a whole grain, you'll get the benefit of the grains, but can still eat a whole grain that doesn't taste very grainy at all. But it's very important to know how to adjust the grinding of the grains so it does not affect the texture. Like, for example, the lady was saying before, cannot get the gluten. It's very tricky when you have... um, flowers or grains with low right. gluten, but still you, you want a low, low gluten bread, but still you need to be nice and yeah. plastic. And, it's, it is, and, uh, it is a, it is a sweet science like boxing. Yeah, absolutely. And we have, our, our phone lines are, have been illuminated. So they absolutely we're going to bring been. in some callers and maybe you guys can answer these questions. For sure. We've got Sherry giving us a call here. She's got actually a tip for saving some old bread. Sherry, welcome to Seasoned. Oh, thank you so much. Nice to hear you guys today. I have a quick tip on bread that's starting to go. Sometimes my daughters will bring me too much bread. And uh, if I don't have room in the freezer and I see little white spots starting, I'll cut the white spots off, pop them in the toaster, toast them lightly, uh, stagger them on a paper towel, bread, uh, you know, paper plate or something like that, let them dry. And then I put them in a, a plastic bag and I'll pull them out for breakfast the next morning or croutons in my salad or soups um, so I don't let them go to waste. Hey, there you Sherry, go. Sherry, look at you. Yeah, how You're about that? saving oh, me I... from myself. <laughs> oh, yes, darling. That's a good tip. <laughs> <laughs> how about that? There you go. Sherry, thanks for your call. Thank we appreciate you, that. And did you hear that? She was okay. happy to hear my voice. Did you hear that? That was nice of her to say. She loves it. <laughs> hey, we've got Len calling from Cheshire. He's going some tips making oh, pizza, pizza dough. And you know who makes a great pizza dough, actually? Tim. Tim makes a fantastic pizza dough. Uh, Len, let's talk pizza dough. Hi, yes, Len. I'd love to get some tips on pizza dough, especially looking for tips on how to make a crust that has a very crispy bottom, maybe even a little bit oily, like a pan pizza, but not made in a pan, and a nice, fluffy, light, fluffy inside. Okay. okay. We could definitely help with that, Lynn. Here, you keep listening. You keep listening. We'll keep helping with that. That's easy. And you guys can give us a call here at 203-776-9677. That's 203-776-WNPR. Uh, shout out your favorite local bakery before we have to hit on down the road. Now, talk okay. about pizza dough, all right? Yeah. Especially here in Connecticut. And, and, Carrie, I'm not sure if you know, but we're kind of the pizza capital of the entire galaxy. And, yes, we're bragging. I might have heard. Okay. <laughs> and, and Kevin, I know you can shout out to that too, right? Yeah. 
Uh, but I, I want to start with Tim because Tim, you make a fabulous pizza dough. Uh, our caller's question there on how to Thank make it a little you. crispier. I'm not sure if it has so much to do with the dough as does the cooking process. But Tim, any tips? So yes, I mean the tips are the biggest biggest thing is hydration. How to get a hundred percent hydrated dough that you can still work on it without getting all your fingers around the dough and not getting the shape. So then it comes with the experience that the longer you work with the dough, more experience is like driving a, a car like 110 or 130 and not getting an accident. Yeah, totally. So that's when it comes, you can play with the hydration. More hydrated it is, more crispy you get, and mm. the fermentation. At least you need over minimum, minimum, even like a six-hour fermentation to get cross. Wow. Six hours, you will not be able to get any cross because the dough does not have enough time to rise and to create all the bubbles inside. And you got to have those bubbles. So hydration nice and, and fermentation are the biggest key, yeah. Oh, how about that? Kevin, what uh, about you? You got any tips on pizza dough? Yeah, so we do. Um, we use a focaccia dough for our pizza. So yep. we actually have started doing monthly pizza pop-ups at our bakery, which oh, we run in the evenings. Love it. We did our first one a couple of weeks ago, and we sold out in 35 minutes. Wow. Um, Dang. Fantastic. But we do use a pan. So we're doing more of a, a, a pan pizza, like a Detroit-style yeah, Detroit pizza. Style, right. um, and that, again, it's a high hydration dough, and we do use a good bit of olive oil in the pan, um, which gives us the crispy bottom. And because it's a long fermented sourdough, um, we get that nice bubbly texture. Um, it is hard. You know, the higher the hydration is, the harder the dough is going to be to work with free form. Um, you know, I personally also think our baguette dough, which runs about 72% hydration, makes a phenomenal pizza crust, but that's going to make more of a Neapolitan style pizza that's going to have a drier crust with, you know, uniform bubbles around the edge. Um, so it really is dependent on which type of pizza you're trying to make. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Carrie, how about you? Any tips on pizza dough? Yeah, I would say, as you had mentioned earlier, a nice bacon at a nice high heat. Yeah. Um, as high as your oven can go, try that. You yeah. know, I think my little tip, and I, I fancy myself a, a pizza aficionado and expert. I can't spell aficionado, but I can spell expert, so I use that word. <laughs> With me, I want to make sure your oven is nice and hot first. Don't just turn your oven on 500 and then wait five minutes and go and do it, especially if you're using a stone. Let that stone get nice and hot first before you cook on it. Have a glass of wine. Talk Talk to your friends. Talk to your friends. Let it get nice and hot before you do it, but don't let it get too hot. A lot of people I know, especially some friends of mine in Detroit, will actually turn their ovens way, way too hot. I like to cook mine around 550, might I saw. 550, 525. Yeah, right around there, and keep an eye on it for sure. Um, The other thing for, sorry to jump in, but for people that are at home that are using baking stones, you should check out Baking Steel. I've seen these things, they're awesome. And then it's steel. It transfers heat to the dough faster, and you get a really great crust. Mm-hmm. They're they're heavy, but they again, you want to let either your stone or your steel heat up for like an hour in the oven, nice and hot. I love this. I, we literally we're running out of time, and I I'm I, there are so many things I have to ask, but I would like for a quick quick tip on kneading yeah. dough. How do you know when you have when you've gotten to where you need to go? I mean. Am I using my haunches? Because sometimes I break a sweat. Plum is laughing at me, but I'm serious. I get that dough on my surface, and I'm like, I, this, this dough is never going to be done. How do I know when it's done? I mean, I put my all into that thing. 
Somebody help me, please. Uh, Go ahead, Tim. Like how you can tell, because the way, the same technique that I used to train the bakers, my amazing team here at Wayfield, is that the dough has to clean the mixer that we mix here, but if you mix it by hand, have to clean the wood or metal bowl. If the dough is not elastic or shiny, has it not cleaned the bowl, means that it's, uh, it's not done yet. Huh. Or it's, with, uh, it's too warm and the gluten is destroyed. It. So it needs to be shiny and clean the bowl. That's a very simple technique to train, okay. even non-bakers. Shiny. <laughs> I like that. Okay. And what we do as well is um, I always tell people to do the window pane test. So you pinch off, you know, using a wet hand, pinch off a piece of dough about, you know, the size of a small, um, I don't like a, a quarter size piece. And then you stretch it apart slowly and it should hold together, but you should be almost able to see through it. And if it, if it does tear, it should tear very cleanly around the edges. And once you can pass that window pane test, you know that you've developed the right gluten structure. Okay. All right, that's good. Carrie, how can you tell if it is really done? I know we talked about the texture and we talked about the shininess, but does thumping on it really work? What are we What are we listening for? Well, you're going to want, when you look at if your hand kneading your dough, if you're going to want it to be smooth, like visually it's going to look smooth, like nice and round and it's not all craggy. Um, so you want to look for those visual cues as well. And I would have to say that bread baking is definitely a visual tactile thing. And if you're ever in question, just look up some videos. Obviously, King Arthur Baking has great resources and videos them. on yeah. their website. Not because it's you work helpful. there, but yes, they do. I was looking yeah. at them. Well, I was cheating. But I, I, I yeah, have to jump true. in quickly because I, I realize we have alienated an entire section of listeners, which is people who are gluten-free. Oh, yeah. Can you give us, in the, in the little bit of time that we have left, is there a particular gluten-free recipe or um, a place where you like to get gluten-free bread? Um, I know in my home I make nutseed bread. Um, and it is it is devoid of any gluten, but it doesn't always come out fantastic. <laughs> we'll do a, a so, and I'm just speaking on what I've read and research. I'm definitely not an expert or a medical professional, but true sourdough bread, from everything that I have read and understood, is 99% gluten free mm. given long fermentation. So we always advise customers of ours if they come in and they're looking for gluten-free if they are celiac where you know they can't have anything that's even been on a floured surface yeah. for nothing i would say stay away but if they're gluten sensitive i always say try a little bit of true sourdough bread um, and try slowly right. and then see how you do and we have lots of customers who have not had bread in decades who are now buying bread from us because they can enjoy our bread because again true sourdough right. is very low in gluten kevin fantastic tip sadly we have run out of time oh but gosh. thank you all so much for joining us this hour flew by our guests this hour have been carrie brisson she's the head bread baker at king arthur baking in norwich vermont kevin massey the head baker and owner of small state provisions inside the gastro park in west hartford and tim Topi. he's the master baker and owner of wave hill breads in norwalk we need like 
three more episodes of this I to mean, do. This or another like, couple hours, right? I think so. Honestly. Season is produced by bread lovers Robin Doyanakin, Katie Talarski, Gene Amantruda, and he's the guy who ran our board today. So mm-hmm. a big shout out to Gene. Our interns are Sarah Gasparato and Michaela Savitt. I'm Chef Plum. And I'm Marisol Castro. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Have a fantastic week. I'm going to have some bread. Thank you.